for everything for everything indie for everything cults it's the blue horseshoe now here's your host george bremer and ryan hickey and welcome back into another edition of the blue horseshoe podcast ryan hickey and george bremer as always here with you it is patriots week we will go behind enemy lines with andy hart host of the six rings and football things uh podcast right here for odyssey he will join us kind of Take us behind the curtain. It's very rare, George. You don't get many answers on the, the that Patriots curtain because Bill Belichick, he's getting close to the vest. We'll try to pry a few answers from Andy about how the Patriots team is kind of winning some games and the key to that victory or the key to the game, I should say, on Sunday. Of course, we'll give you our game picks. We are hot. Is, is one game Georgia winning streak, by the way? We got the last game right where we picked the Commanders to win. Is that a winning streak? We'll call For it. us, it is. I mean, it's not a winning streak because you got to get two in a row, but for us, it is. I mean, where we were at, we got to take whatever we can get. And we got it. We got a W, uh, you know, Terry McLaurin really really came up big for us uh, in our picks. In our picks. So we are now two and six on the year picking Colts games. We'll see if we can go to three and six. Uh, We'll give our picks for this uh, game against the Patriots on Sunday as well. And obviously discuss some keys and how the Colts can win in Foxborough for the first time. In a very, very long time. But, George, I wanted to start with this. Usually, Pat's Colts week is always one filled with juice, filled with anticipation, filled with buzz. I feel really none of that. And I kind of just go into this week for the first time in a very long time. I feel like this is just another game, which is very rare to say against the Patriots team. Do you kind of get that sense, too, around the community, even around the team? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's just this this year has taken a lot out of everybody. I think there's a, the team's not going to do it because they're, you know, they're they're professionals. They're their whole outlook is different than ours. You know what I mean? Like they're, they, they can't even think about the same things we do uh, for them. Every week is, is the most important thing because their jobs are on the line and, and they're trying to get a win and, and get back into this AFC playoff race. And I'm sure it's a very big deal for them. They've mentioned the rivalry a couple times, uh, but I don't get it from the community. And I think we're, I think the Pats were ahead of us in this regard. I think we're catching up to them now. Cause I think in new England, it was always Brady versus Manning. And I think as soon as Manning was gone, you know, they, they wanted to beat Andrew Luck to, to prove that they could do that too, but it wasn't the same level. Mm-hmm. I think they've probably – I don't think it's ever, it's meant as much up there as it has here the last few years anyway. But I think Colts' side of it, the Colts fandom is, is starting to catch up now. Well, too, and, then, you know, it helps – well, this helps with us for years ago when you had the whole Joshua Daniels debacle and you have Chris mm-hmm. Ballard. The rivalry is on, and the juice goes back. Even last year, like, that was a great game. Um, a lot of fun. Nice Colts win there on that Saturday primetime slot. But like I said, especially when it's Sam Elliger going against Mac Jones and the Colts are 3-4-1 and one, and the Pats are 4-4. Four and four, It's uh, With each team having so many of their own problems to figure out first, like I said, it's hard to kind of get juiced up when it's not exactly the quarterback matchup we've been used to seeing for, let's say, the last 15 years or so, give or take. So speaking of this game, George, I think there's a few different angles we can get into. We'll get into the Sam Ellinger part and what he has to do being a mobile quarterback against, again, that kind of skill set has always given Bill Belichick defenses, um, you know, fits throughout the years. But this is a very interesting week because obviously you have a you have the quarterback change going back to last Sunday where, where Sam Ellinger starts over Matt Ryan. They lose the game to the Commanders, and the Commanders are, are not a very good football team. Then you have Marcus Brady being fired on Tuesday. I, uh, Naeem Hines getting traded at the trade deadline. This is a game I feel like that could be very interesting to kind of see, I guess, how the team was responding to Frank Reich because there's still so much time left. There's so many moves where we kind of discussed it. And if you missed it, make sure to check out our midweek pod. We kind of discussed the Colts are right now directionless. Is this a game, If because I at least do view in this uh, sense, I'm curious if you agree. Is this a game where you kind of wonder, like, this could be one of the ways to truly see if Frank Reich has, you know, still a grip on the team and still his voice is being heard? Yeah, I mean, you're going into this game, and and mathematically, you're still in the race, right? I mean, if you win this one, you're back to 500, and you're in the AFC right now. That puts you right in the middle of the mix. Uh, and you would think if you win this one, you've got a winnable game. Don't look ahead, right? One game at a time. But if if you win this one, you'd think you'd got a winnable game in, in Vegas next week as well. So, you know, I, I think there's reason right now for this team to believe that they could still make the playoffs. If you lose this game, you start – that starts to to erode a little bit you know that that as we talked about on the midweek part pod as well that whole idea has a shelf life that that you're still in it and and you can still get the goals that you want 
The Titans are starting to run away and hide already with the division. It's already starting to look a little more like a wild card situation. We'll see. I mean, Titans have some tough games coming up, but there aren't a whole lot of scenarios where you lose on Sunday and you can still legitimately get up on Monday and talk about being a playoff team and chasing the division title and the things that they're talking about now. And so I think it's, it's an inflection game in that result in that regard, but also it, it feels at times like the, 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 the locker room is almost a ticking time bomb of sorts in this moment, only because it's like any other workplace. You've got people in there that didn't want to see Matt Ryan get benched. You've got people in there that didn't want to see Naheem Hines get traded. You've got people in there that didn't want to see Marcus Brady be fired as it would be anywhere else. They're not all the same people. Uh, And I think if you keep losing and you keep adding negativity into the mix, it's putting Kendall on that fire. So I think, yeah, I I think it is a, it's a big game for Frank Reich and it's a big game for this football team. And we can look at it as outsiders, however we want, and we can root for losses and higher draft picks and everything. The players don't have the luxury of thinking that way, but the more games they lose, the more frustrated they're going to become. And that's why like this game is, is fascinating. Like I said, they like the frustrating part is we just don't know what the direction of the team is. And again, like you mentioned from the outside for us, I can want them to lose as many games as possible for their long-term, you know, for their long-term health. You as a listener could want them to lose as many games. So it's easy for us to say, Oh, just lose games. Who cares? But like you mentioned, George players have pride. They want to win and they're not going to, most players will not be here in 10 years. 95% of the players on the roster will not be here in 10 years. So they don't really care about the 10 year health of the Colts because they'll be long gone and retired on, you know, through the teams by that point. They just care about in the moment wanting to win right now. And like I mentioned, you're making all these moves and kind of sending mixed messages of, hey, we're, we're benching Matt Ryan for Sam Linger because we want to win, we want to provide a new spark for this offense. Oh, hey, we're also going to at the same time then trade one of, you know, an important value piece in Naeem Hines to the Bills, and we're going to start, you know, maybe not putting all our chips in this year to win as many games. Like, you're sending mixed messages, which makes the, the you know, what your goal is confusing, which, like you said, already adds even more frustration to what already has been an extremely frustrating season. I think, because... We said this before. I think Frank Reich is a dead man walk at this point. I think this is uh, he's all but basically going to be fired on Black Monday at the end of the season. With that said, though, this I think is also an opportunity for Frank Reich. If he is still able to have command of the team, have them still play inspired hard football, even if they don't, even if it doesn't result in wins, let's say, like, I don't think he has to make the playoffs to save his job or even make the playoffs to kind of prove he still has a voice in the locker room. But if you have the guys playing hard the next nine games, and that's going to be. Two months is a very long time. But if you can have him still playing hard, even if the results aren't there, I think Frank Wright can make a legitimate case for himself and a Jim Mercer to bring him back and give him one more chance next year. I think that's really now with the playoffs all but forgotten, the division basically gone. I think it's really the only way Frank Reich is able to keep his job this year is by kind of showing, hey, look, we were down, we were out, but the guys still responded to me. They still heard my voice, and they still have respect for what I'm saying. Give me a chance with a little bit more talented roster or a quarterback I can actually mold, and then maybe results will be different. I think that's the only way Frank can really try to truly sell Jim Mercer and keeping his job, which is why, again, you look at a game like this, coming off a commander's loss, it's going to be interesting, interesting to see how the team does respond and how hard they do play with, like you mentioned, all the moves especially this week that kind of leave you, you know, not knowing which way this direction of the team is going. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot more talk about what's going on off the field right now than on the field. It's like a soap opera right now with, with all the different storylines that have happened and, and, you know, this guy's gone and that guy's gone. And, and I think anytime you get into that boat, you know, that that's what happens with bad franchises in the NFL. That's how you go down the wrong road when it starts becoming more about the drama and less about X's and O's. And I think this is a game that can keep that from happening. You go up there, and like you said, even if you don't win it, you go out there and you don't turn the ball over and you play a clean game and the offense takes a step forward and the defense takes a step forward and you just get outplayed. That's, I think that's a different kind of a feeling, you know, moving forward. If you go up there again and it's the same story it's been and the offense struggles and they cough the ball up and you you find a way to lose the game, which has happened so many times this year, uh, you know, it, it's just feeding more into that drama and it's overshadowing even more because, again, I mean, mathematically, they're right in this. They shouldn't be, but they are. Right. The AFC has not, you know, pulled away. Uh, and if you get on if you get on a hot streak, you can change a lot of the conversations. But I agree with you. I don't even think it's about that. It's about improving 
the look right now and showing that these guys are listening, that you can clean up the turnovers, that you can clean up the, the silly mistakes. Uh, that's what it's about right now. Is this team going to respond? And it's, I think this week in particular, because it's been a week, you know, unlike there's only been a few that I can think of around here like this with so many off the field kind of things going on. Um, you know, I think the other day, Wednesday, I'm not sure Frank Reich took a football question in that press conference. I think it was all about the Naheem Hines trade and, and the offense coordinator getting fired because, you know, there might've been one question about Belichick and, and the defense, but you know, it's, look, this has become a soap opera and you never want to be there. No, you're right. It's a mark of a bad team. And it, it's never, thankfully for the most part, it's been a place the Colts have avoided for a large part, at least of, of my lifetime as a 28 year old, but you're hundred percent right. Like this is, this is some of the signs of a dysfunctional team. And you hope, like you said, it, it kind of does not go down the road. We've seen teams like the jets and the Browns go down where it just gets way uglier before it gets better. But we mentioned one of the ways it can turn around. One of the ways that, you know, kind of cures all ills is winning. So if you were able to go to Foxborough and win this weekend, that's obviously going to kind of change the direction of the season and kind of change your thoughts at four, four and one of this team being potentially a playoff team. So if the Colts do win on Sunday, George, let's kind of get into some of the keys here, how they can do so. Because when you look at it, especially from the outside perspective, look at this matchup, it's actually really ironic that these teams are meeting at this point in the season because they're almost identical. The Patriots are four and four, the Colts are three, four and one. So records are basically the same. You look at turnovers, most turnovers in the NFL, Colts 16, Patriots 16. Quarterback questions, neither quarterback, whether it's Mac Jones for the uh, Patriots or whether it's either or Sam Ellinger or Matt Ryan, have been anywhere near consistent in what they've hoped for. Offensive lines have been bad. It's like there's so many similarities between these two teams going in. With that said, George, a lot of different directions you can go. So I'll let you kind of start with the ball rolling here. What's the biggest key for the Colts to win on Sunday? I mean, the most obvious one's turnovers, and that's the one that's kind of the the layup. I and mean, the record tells us that they're three and zero when they're tied, or they they win the turnover battle. They're zero four and one when they lose the turnover battle. So take care of the football first and foremost. They haven't done it all year. They're averaging two turnovers a game, uh, but if you can not turn the ball over Sunday, I think that goes a long way towards victory. Uh, besides that, I think the number like a one A is is running the ball. I just think that's one thing that you've seen New England be. A little bit susceptible to, you know, uh, Chicago, when they went up there and they, and they put that big number on them, yeah. a lot of that was run between Justin Fields, the quarterback, and, and also Herbert, the running back, uh, getting that running game going, getting it up and in, in, in flowing. I think it takes that hostile crowd out of the game. It's really hard to stay loud and stay into it as a fan when, when your team's getting run over on the field. Uh, so I think that's a big element. And two, I think it's something this team just needs anyway. They haven't had that game all year. Even when Taylor put 161 up against Houston, most of it was in the fourth quarter in overtime, and most of it was in a hurry-up, spread-offense type of situation. They haven't had that classic Frank Reich game all year long where the offensive line was the bully. They pushed guys around. Last year, one of the trademark games of that was New England. Patriots came in geared up to stop Jonathan Taylor it didn't happen. He had 170 yards, 170 odd yards. I think a 67 yarder at the end, you know, to clinch it. Mm -hmm. I, I just think running the ball is, is a, the thing that probably hurts new England the most and B probably the thing the Colts need to, to see themselves do the most. I like both those in your hundred percent, right? But in the sake of, I guess, being different and expanding conversation a little bit, I'll go with the defensive line for the Colts, all four guys, because this is, especially when you look at this Patriots team, we mentioned kind of the similarities. And so we know or how to beat the Colts. Well, it's basically stop the run and get after the quarterback. And with that offensive line, the Colts have had, it's been so shaky that it's pretty easy to do with four guys. If you're on the other side and you look at the Colts, where you look at, you know, their defensive line, you know, obviously led in the middle by DeForest Buckner, who Bill Belichick is praising a lot this week, and Grover Stewart. If you can limit Ramondre Stevenson, who kind of has been Jonathan Taylor light for the Patriots this season, kind of been their bell cow running back and the guy who kind of gets things going, you put Mac Jones in unadvantageous situations. Like, we'll get into this a little bit with Andy. I don't think Bill Belichick really does trust Mac Jones. Like, I watch a lot of that Jets game, especially kind of being locally here in New York um, last week. And after that pick six right before halftime that was wiped away and the, the Patriots got the ball, the rest of the, the the rest of that half and the entire second half, they barely threw the ball, George. Like they, they did not put the ball um and really let Mac Jones rip it whatsoever. So if you're able to slow down the run game first and foremost, especially with, with Buckner 
and Grover Stewart, you can now allow, like it's a bad offensive line for the first time that the Colts are going to face in a long time. You can allow Unique Ngakwe to kind of really get a head start and really kind of have his presence felt on the edge. Tyquan Lewis is a tough loss, especially timing-wise, really tough going into this game. So, you know, you're going to need a guy like Ben Banigou to step up. But if you can get consistent pressure with just four guys and Mac Jones, he showed you he'll put the ball in harm's way. The Patriots are, are tied for the most interceptions this season. Somehow, they have more than the Colts. Now, it's only one, 10 to 9, so the Colts are close there. But like you mentioned, turnovers, you, this defense needs to force turnovers, and the best way to do so is to stop in the run game and, again, getting after Mac Jones, which should – be easier than it's been for the most part, or should be similar to what we've seen defenses doing against Colts quarterbacks because this Patriots offense line is not very good. Like, it's kind of funny, but we both just kind of highlighted ways to, that other teams have beat the Colts. It's like that same formula the Colts have seen used against them. They have to use that exact form this week to beat the Patriots. The, the similarities are startling. The good news is they should have plenty of it on tape, right? They've seen it work. They, they know what it looks like. They, they can see the picture, so... And they know, like, the, the, the defensive lineman practicing against the, the first-string offensive lineman. They, they know what a bad offensive line is. They know how to take advantage. It won't be too hard. I'll tell you, that Taekwon Lewis loss, though, that we haven't really talked about that because there's been so much other drama like this week. Um, but that that was huge. And, and you talk about heartbreaking. I mean, this is one of the best guys out there. I, I say that a lot because a lot of these guys are good guys. Taekwon is, is one of the most positive guys in that locker room. He's he's just he's one of those guys that draws people to him, but he's also so disruptive. His numbers don't really show it. I think a lot of people look at the raw numbers and say, oh, well, you know, he only had one sack or whatever and four hurries or, or whatever the numbers are. But he like he was the guy that had the pressure on Shaquille Leonard's interception, for instance. You know, and Shaq said today, I got that pick because of Taekwon Lewis and then Taekwon's out. I He's just he's a guy that. You need these kind of guys on every team. He get he does those kind of glue things, the 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 things that are in between the lines on the box score that makes plays for other guys. He may not get the sack, but he pushed the guy into the guy who did. You know, he may not have got the interception, but he got the hurry that caused it. And I just feel like that's a bigger loss that I think people are giving it credit to. And it's a tough to get the same injury on the other knee. And back-to-back years, and almost exactly a year apart. It was Halloween last year yeah. against the Titans, and October 30th this year against the Commanders. If you don't think he's important, though, look at what happened to the defense. He leaves the field, good point. three plays, 64 yards in the game when he touched it. It's a very good point, George. And it's and even like last year he got hurt, it's on a fumble recovery. Like He's making a play. Like you said, it's just – it's tough because the injuries have limited him, and even his limited – when he's on the field, his limited snap counts because he's missed so much time, and – like, it really is frustrating. You feel so bad for a guy that works so hard. I remember him coming out of Ohio State. He terrorized Penn State team. So I was excited. All right, he's finally on my side now. And like I said, it's it's so frustrating when you have a player with a lot of talent. And even sometimes those flashes, the only issue is obviously they just can't get on the field on a consistent basis. And especially now this week when you're really going to need edge pressure um, in a big-time way. Um, you already have a few injuries there as well. It's, it's a tough blow for sure. Um, but you hope, again, the next man up philosophy. It's part of the NFL. You know, if you can kind of continue to – um, kind of push that forward here and continue to get pressure on Mac Jones. He's shown you a tendency to turn the ball over and give you some gimmies here where, like you mentioned, if you can keep the ball safe, which is – I mean, look, at this point, George, you just got to win the turnover battle. They're not going to have a nope. clean game, right? That's almost basically a lost cause at this point of hoping for a no turnover game. So I think that's not even a key to the game. It's not really realistic. We can right. sit here, of course, oh, don't turn the ball over. Well, when you're doing it every game, now it's like, all right, can you limit it to – I mean, I hate to say this. Like, I'm almost like you're just kind of like hedging here a little bit. Like, you could say if they have two turnovers, I would take it, honestly. Like, yeah, don't if it's don't turn thing. it over. Don't turn it over more than your average. Don't have a right. bad turnover game from your numbers. Like, that's where you're at now. If you're a three or more, the Colts are in trouble. You could, you could win with two, especially considering on the other side, like I said, the Patriots should give you at least one or two. Yeah, for sure. You can win with two as long as you match it with two takeaways. Also very true. Very, very, very true. The Colts could not match last week. Only got one. Now maybe they'll, you know, they'll be able to get two and kind of turn the game in their favor. Or at least mitigate. Worst case scenario, we're talking about mitigating the turnover differential, which is something the Colts have failed to do in every single loss so far this season. So even with now, when you look at Sam Ellinger making his second career start, first road start, going against Bill Belichick, you know, we've seen um, Bill Belichick put rookies in a blender, right? Like any young quarterback, he's able always to find a way to kind of confuse them, have them see ghosts, 
going back to you know the Sam Darnold days of the Jets, but also at the same time, Sam Ellinger has a skill set there, George, where it gives Bill Belichick defenses problems. So it's kind of there's some good, there's some bad. Who has the advantage? I think is it Sam Ellinger because of his, his traits that he has that usually Bill Belichick defenses can't stop, or is it you know we'll say the greatest head coach in NFL history because again he always has a knack no matter who they are, no matter what they do. Rookie quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, they just can't figure out uh, Bill Belichick defense. Yeah, I, I I think it's Belichick just because it's such a different game. I mean, you, you almost can't trust what you watch on film this week. I mean, that's what that's what your whole life as an NFL quarterback is built around, studying the film, figuring out what they're going to do, being ready to go. And, and this week, you don't know whether or not you can trust it, you know, because he's going to show you something that he's never shown you before. He's going to show you something different in the middle of a play. It's just it's so hard as any quarterback going against him, uh, but especially a guy in your second career start. Um, you know, I, I just feel like that's the advantage. Uh, some of that is, you know, we'll find out just how much. I think that's one of the things last year with Jonathan Taylor. You said he's a superstar. And then he went out there and he beat a Patriots team that was geared to beat him. And you were like, he's something above a superstar. He's, 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 he's better than we thought. Uh, now I think Sam's kind of in that same boat with his mobility. How mobile is Sam Ellinger? Well, we're going to find out. Is he mobile? You know, we know he has functional mobility. Is he mobile enough to beat a Bill Belichick defense? It's kind of a, kind of a tipping point here for him. We will find out on Sunday for sure. Like I said, my guess going into it, I still think Bill Belichick has the advantage for sure. And it's because in large part, the quarterbacks we're talking about, even if we just simple it down to, let's just talk about Justin Fields, right? Who, again, on Monday night a few weeks ago, had himself a day running the ball, passing the ball, and really lit up this Patriots defense. So if we just talk, especially just a few weeks ago as an example, with the same you know Patriots defense, same personnel, Fields is still an elite athlete when it comes to especially running the ball. He's fast, he's elusive, he's pretty big. Ellinger is built solid, right? But he's not exactly going to beat you with his feet. He's not exactly going to... You know, meet you meet you in the hole and make you miss. You know, uh, on one on one, he's just more of a, a power runner, more of a guy that's just gonna you know meet you with force rather than finesse and and hit you with speed or hit you with a with a juke move and keep on running like a Lamar Jackson or, or Justin Fields. And that's the the concern at least for me is that I just don't think Sam Ellinger is gonna be fast enough to really hurt a Belichick defense again. Like we've seen some guys like Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, are like the the mobile quarterbacks we're talking about that have really kind of carved up Belichick defenses. Happen like elite guys. Like it's not just Joe Schmo who could sometimes run around and you know, like you mentioned, I like the word functional mobility, where you can rush out the pocket and like get ten yards and slide down. Like you, know, you got to be one of those elite athletes where even when you game plan for a guy to not beat you, he's still able to beat you. You mentioned Jalen Taylor last year, who showed kind of a superstar elite status by still having that huge game, despite everyone in the building know Jalen Taylor's going to get the ball. And Carson Wentz, what completed? Was it four passes that game? Five passes? Yeah, five of 12, I think, was the stat line. Was They didn't even try to throw the ball, which goes to show you, and they still won the game, how special of a talent Jonathan Taylor is. Guys like Lamar Jackson in this game, guys like Justin Fields, when you were just so special in that game, sometimes it doesn't matter what you do on defense. You could still make a guy miss, and even when it's in the defense's advantage, you still find a way to win. Right now, with his skill set, I don't see Sam Mellinger kind of matching that or being able to do that, which is why, like I said, even though he, on paper – should have the skills to kind of continue to give a Bill Belichick defense trouble. I'll still give, you know, the hoodie up there in New England the advantage in this matchup. I mean, history tells us if he's going against the Colts, he's usually got the advantage. But every now and again, last year was an example, you know, uh, it it goes the other way. And and this is not a classic Patriots team. We're we're going to talk about that here in in just a few minutes uh, with Andy Hunt. But, you know, this is not a classic New England team. It's not a classic Indianapolis team. I think it's going to be an That's interesting awesome. matchup as a result. Let's finish and wrap up our like a little preview here with this, George. We didn't. I would at least I was expecting to speak for myself here last week. More RPOs and more Sam Ellinger outside the pocket rolling than we actually saw. Marcus Brady was fired on Tuesday. Now Frank Reich taking over again. He's the play caller, but now he's like the offensive coordinator on top of being the play caller on top of being the head coach. Do you think we will see? That much of a different game plan this week in New England where you will have more RPOs, you will have more rollouts, especially if Jonathan Taylor doesn't play? Or do you kind of see still, for the most part, the game plan they used against the Commanders, which was still mostly drop-back passes and having Sam you know, work from the pocket, you still kind of seeing that replicate itself on Sunday? I, I think you know, you've seen them change a lot from week to week this year. We've seen this offense do a lot of different things. I think this is going to be a, a week where they've got to try to take advantage of of 
you know, those quarterback rollouts and, and even some draws and, and some more designed runs simply because it's the one kind of proven way to beat this Belichick defense. So I think, you know, what they always say in the NFL, if you start a fire in the NFL, you have to put it out because everybody else is going to take advantage of it until you do. And I think the Colts have got to make New England prove that they can stop them. We can talk theoretically, you know, all we want. They've got to make it, prove it physical on the field. Uh, so I think you've got it. It doesn't have to be every snap. It doesn't even have to be as much as Chicago or Baltimore would do it. But I think you've got to do it more often than you did a, a week ago. And it's got to be a, a significant part of your game plan. I like that. I never heard that before. If you start a fire, you got to put it out because others will will take advantage. I like that, George. That's a that's a good little little thing that might take that for sure. Um, I'm with you. I think you're 100% right. I think you have to change the game plan. You have to have Sam rolling out more for two reasons. Number one, again, we've, we've seen Bill Belichick really confuse young quarterbacks with, with disguises and blitzes. Where if you have him sitting back there, it's tougher to read. Or if you're at least on the roll, you have the option to run if you want, and you can see the defense a little bit better. And you can see half the field and maybe make some better throws. So I think that's one way to cut down the turnovers. But also, too, okay, you ran similar offense to what Matt Ryan had the first seven weeks of the season last week with the Commanders. It still resulted in 16 points. Like, we could talk about Sam Ellinger playing well. We could talk about him making some decent throws and that deep ball to Alec Pierce and the nice one he had to Michael Pittman Jr. that he dropped at the end of the game. At the end of the day, for the fourth time this season, the Colts scored one touchdown or less. They hit their season average of 16.1 points. They hit that right on the nose at 16 points. So it's like even with some of the positives you could take out of Sunday's game against the Commanders where you, you rush for the second mount, second most yards you have of the season, end of the day, the scoreboard doesn't lie. The scoreboard's the only thing that matters. And you have 16 points. I just don't think you can continue to run back the same kind of philosophy and expect different results. I mean, we're sitting here. I feel like we're just living in a, in a world full of insanity when it comes yeah. to at least this Colts offense. Uh, it's same thing every week. They change. And that's the thing. I've never seen them change as many things offensively in a single year. I mean, they've changed everything from the offensive line combination to the tempo that they're running plays at, to whether or not they're huddling to benching the quarterback to now the offense coordinator. And so far, nothing's changed. That's why I think you've just got to go and, and attack New England where you know historically they've had trouble. And not just historically, two weeks ago, they had trouble right. doing this. Uh, you know, you, you just got to prove. I think that was a Chuck Paganoism, by the way. I think that was one of his things, you know. Uh, once you set a fire, uh, you got to be the one to put it out. And, and I think that's – you got to force that. You can't watch that fire burn on the other side and then, you know, not go in and try to take advantage of it. Well, fingers crossed, George, the fire department will not be called to New England on Sunday. Or if it is, hopefully it's for the home team. Because, boy, oh, boy, this could – this has been very frustrating. When I see this Colts offense actually get off to a decent start. How, how about this, George? You know what? We'll save this actually for, for our predictions. I'll, I'll have one thing I want to see here outside just a, a Colts one. We'll get to that here in a second. But we don't want to keep Andy Hart waiting any longer. When we do return, as always, we're going behind enemy lines. Andy Hart of the Six Rings and Football Things podcast will join us, give us some thoughts and, and some – perspective of what he has seen so far from the New England Patriots to do that when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Time to go behind enemy lines. We do welcome in Andy Hart, host of the Six Rings and Football Things podcast. And Andy, thanks for coming on. Usually the Colts-Patriots rivalry is heated. You know, fans love kind of chirping at one another. This feels very calm. This feels very tame. So as we welcome you into the behind enemy lines segment here, What's kind of the feeling in New England heading to this game, which, again, historically is always a good rivalry, but now, as we know, far from, for both teams, far from the glory days. Yeah, in the old days of uh, Manning-Brady, we were used to these early November, often primetime games. You know, one team might be undefeated, one might have one. Not anymore. Now it's like yeah. a, almost like an MLS matchup. Four and four meets three, four and one. <laughs> um, but I actually think Patriots fans are a little overconfident um, I think they probably should have learned their lesson on Monday night football against the bears when everybody was sort of penciling that in as a win and sort of they're in the soft part of the schedule and it's a feel good game. And then Justin Fields absolutely kicked their butts up and down the fields at Gillette. So, um, they bounced back, you know, they, they're just inconsistent and, it's funny because I was uh, busting the chops of Scott Zolak, who's our uh, does the radio call up here, former Patriots backup quarterback. And he was on Twitter the other night watching the Bengals struggle against the Browns. And he, he tweeted something to the effect of like, because we play the 
the Bengals on Christmas Eve, you know, Bengals, ha, 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 layup. And I'm like, excuse me, you, you think that's a layup now? Well, this <laughs> Patriots team should not be considering anybody a layup after that Bears game. And so, you know, do I think they're probably going to beat the Colts at home on Sunday? Sure. I agree with the fans in that right. But I, I don't think it's going to be easy. And I don't it wouldn't stun me if they lose. So, yeah, this is um, the, the matchups were balanced back in the day, but balanced at a really high end. Now it's balanced in that sort of bland middle of the NFL, I guess. Mediocrity. Yeah. <laughs> Feels like a, a wild card eliminator game, at least on the Colts yeah. side of things. Um, I, I'm wondering, you mentioned the Bears game. If you kind of take that game away, it seems like things have been kind of moving in the right direction every uh, the last, what, three of the last four weeks. What happened? Is there anything you put your finger on that happened in that Chicago game that was so different? Well, first of all, Justin Fields played really well. Like he he ran the ball. They went designed runs. I think they picked up some of the stuff that Lamar Jackson did a few weeks earlier and said, okay. And I know the Colts may do this with Ellinger, like say designed runs. And and I do think the Patriots defense struggles to match up. They're not very good at linebacker. Jawan Bentley is their middle linebacker, a captain, but not overly athletic. I think athletically they struggle to match up with athletic quarterbacks. So I think that was part of that game. It was also the low point, the weird point, whatever you want to call it, in this Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi. It's not a quarterback controversy, but it sure is interesting. And Bill pulls Mac because he theoretically, Bill said it had the injury had something to do with it. But then two days later, he was removed from the injury report and the injury is forgotten. So I, I still really haven't come to grips with what Belichick did that that night. I think he, personally he got caught up in the emotion. You know, he. He sounded like the fans and was like, okay, he threw a pick. Time to get Zappy the hot hand back in there. And then Zappy stopped being the hot hand. He started turning the ball over. The balls are getting batted. He started to look like a rookie mid-round quarterback. So, um, and there's also this belief locally that I struggle with because he's Bill Belichick and I've been hearing him talk up opponents for 20 years. But some people think they flat out looked past the Bears and didn't didn't take the game seriously, thought they could screw around with the quarterbacks, and regardless of who played, they would win the game. And the Bears did not play the role of the willing victim that night. They got the job done. I'll also say um, Matt Eberflus did a good job for you guys against the Patriots, and then I think the Bears did a good job against. So Matt Eberflus has a little, little string going here of some nice performances against the Patriots and Mac Jones. So I, I think there was all those factors at play. Speaking of that game, Andy, like you mentioned, Lamar Jackson, you know, Justin Fields ran really well in that Monday night game. We know historically kind of mobile quarterbacks of recent years have given Bill Belichick defenses tough times. Now, look, Sam Ellinger's not Lamar Jackson. He's not even Justin Fields. But how much of a threat does he pose? How much should Bill Belichick be concerned with another mobile quarterback going into Gillette? Again, a less talented, less athletic guy, but still nonetheless kind of that same mold that does give give his defenses kind of more trouble than not. Yeah, they're all thinking about it, talking about it, whether it's Juwan Bentley, the middle linebacker, Devin McCourty, the safety, any of the sort of middle of the field defenders we've talked to have said, well, yeah, it's on tape like that. You know, it's out there. Our performances against athletic quarterbacks are out there. So, you know, they'd kind of be crazy not to try it a little bit. And I know they did a little bit of that last week in in his debut there. So um, I think they're expecting it. But again, uh, you know, Juwan Bentley was like, I don't really have an answer at some point. We, you know, we have scheme and yeah, there's scheme involved and we're not going to talk about that. But like at some point we have to chase the guy with the ball like we have to, you know, gang tag. Right. Like there's a little bit of athleticism involved. And I do think um, that is a factor. Kyle Duggar was out of action. He's a key player for them. So there's sort of layers to it. But I think they're expecting designed runs. And I think they're expecting. I also think some of it is um, at times Matt Judon, who's been really good really mm-hmm. good for two years here pro bowler I do think at times he gets a little caught up in getting to the quarterback and gets beyond the quarterback or gets a little out of control as an edge rusher and that's a that's a no-no players have even joked about it because for years you know Chandler Jones is an example when he was in New England he was good but he wasn't a 19 or 20 sack guy because some of what they do is controlled pass rush don't ever get past the quarterback don't give him a rush lane and and I think when Chandler Jones got to Arizona there was a little more freedom to do what he wanted to do interestingly people have talked about like Judon seems to have more freedom here than almost any pass rusher they've had under Belichick and at times I think it bites him in the butt a little bit and he gets out of position 
But I also think there are many more other times where it's impactful in a positive way for the defense and, you know, getting a sack, getting a pressure, forcing a bad throw, forcing an interception. So um, that's part of it. But I still think the biggest factor is the athleticism up front at linebacker. They don't, they don't match up well enough. Let's take them with the defense a little bit. I mean, you've mentioned some of the pieces on the chessboard have obviously changed, but Belichick for decades has, has had a reputation of just really abusing young quarterbacks, especially rookies, which essentially Ellinger is he's in his second year, but this is just going to be a second career start. A lot of that has been, you know, his ability to show looks that, that haven't been appeared at, at any other point in the season uh, and change them up during the game. Is that still going on? Is that something that even with, with the different pieces on defense, is that something that, that uh, is still a part of that new England game plan? It is. Um, I don't know. It's quite as effective as it was in the past in the heyday. Now you still have good players. And as I said, you still have Devin McCourty who's been here for forever as a part of that in the back end. And certainly the safety position is one they lean on in that area because they have Adrian Phillips, Devin McCourty, Kyle Duggar, that trio plus Jabril Peppers is now working his way into the mix. Those are, you know, veteran guys, versatile guys. They can show different looks, be in the box, drop deep, do, do a lot of different things. And I think that's, maybe their biggest strength on defense, especially in terms of confusing quarterbacks and getting, and, and quite honestly, they have a lot of versatile defensive backs, which is also a way of saying they don't really have a lot of good corners. Like they kind of, you know, Jalen Mills is their number one corner, but I mean, I think most people think he's best suited to kind of be a, a, a defensive back, a hybrid corner safety type. And, you know, even miles Bryant, like a lot of the guys they play aren't prototypical, you know, outside guys, true cornerbacks. But I think at times that benefits them because of their versatility and and moving those pieces around. And then the, the, the front is pretty versatile when they're healthy. When, you know, Dietrich Wise is a guy that's really had a nice year, kind of a, a year six jump we've been joking about around here because all of a sudden he never leaves the field. He's already tied his career best with sacks, um, can bump inside, can be outside. Christian Barmore has been banged up, but he's a, a versatile athlete in the middle. Um, so they have some bodies that they can move around and throw at at any quarterback, but also a young quarterback. Now, the interesting thing is, yeah, Bill's still here, but Bill's really involved with the offense right now. So I don't know if that's taken away a little bit of his time with his son, Steve Belichick, who's the play caller, and Gerard Mayo, who's the sort of the, the highest ranking voice, I guess, in that room, at least in the process. Um, but yeah, they're they're still multiple. They pride themselves on throwing a lot at any quarterback and certainly a young quarterback. One of the weird things, Andy, this year, especially with the Patriots, that you're not really used to seeing is turnovers. Like them and the Colts right now are tied for the league league with 16 turnovers. You look at the interceptions, the Patriots have 10, which is leading the league. I guess I'll ask it this way. Does Bill Belichick trust Mac Jones, like from what you've seen? Uh, I think to start the year, they may have trusted him too much. Um, they clearly were trying to take this offense to a new level. And you guys are aware of, of the coaching change. Josh McDaniels leaves. Matt Patricia, who's a defensive actually coach. Leaves. Andy, yeah, actually leaves. Andy, he actually left this time. He, he may regret it because it's <laughs> yeah, not going all that great sure. out there. Um, and we're finding out that Matt Patricia in New England and Matt Patricia every – I mean, excuse me, Josh McDaniels in New England and – well, Matt Patricia too. But yeah. a lot of these guys in New England aren't, aren't that elsewhere. Um, but with Josh McDaniels, after a nice rookie year for Mac Jones, right, they win 10 games – He's a Pro Bowl rookie quarterback. He looks comfortable. You know, sort of the, the, the narrative last year was, you know, they have him reined in too much. Well, mm -hmm. Josh leaves, Matt Patricia, Joe Judge, Bill Belichick, whatever that triumvirate is creating for an offense. And, and they changed things. They tried to change things. Some of that they've already scrapped. Um, Bill said simplify it. There was certainly more of an emphasis on pushing the ball down the field. Um, Mac Jones even said a... Uh, different philosophy in terms of throwing 50-50 balls. Like if I have my guy down there and it's sort of a jump ball, I think Josh said, nope, that means there's somebody open underneath. Take the dink, take the dunk. I think this group early in the year said, no, take a shot. And no one has specifically voiced this, but I think some of it was, okay, we were a playoff team last year, but we didn't measure up. We weren't even close to competing with teams like the Bills or theoretically the Chiefs, these teams that can put points on the board, can spread it out and score 40. And I think the early season effort before Matt got hurt was, let's see what Matt can do. Let's see what these 
good, not great weapons can do. Can we make plays down the field? Can we be a higher scoring, more aggressive offense to maybe close that gap between what we were a year ago, got exposed and beat in the, in, in the postseason, and maybe close the gap with Josh Allen and, and those guys. So, but it, it didn't work. Mac was uncomfortable. Mac was throwing interceptions. He's thrown an interception in every game. Now, last week he got hit as he threw, so a little bit circumstantial, but um, he also hasn't thrown the ball well down the field. I don't want to put it all on philosophy either. There was like one interception over the middle in the Pittsburgh game where it just sailed back towards Minka Fitzpatrick instead of going to Devontae Parker. So, you know, maybe it was going to be a 50-50 ball, but he turned it into an 80-20 Minka Fitzpatrick ball, and he caught it because he's a great player and a great safety. Um, and then I would also throw in the, the the protection has not been good. They Right tackle's been a disaster. They moved Isaiah Wynn there, the former first-round pick. Um, terrible, doesn't seem comfortable, doesn't seem happy, leads the NFL in in penalties. Just been an absolute debacle. Marcus Cannon's played a little bit of late. He's old and kind of looks old and hasn't been great. Um, so the the uh, Cole Strange was their first-round pick as a guard. Was really good for a little while. The last couple of weeks, the wheels kind of fell off. He even got benched for a little bit um, against the Jets. So, you know, that I think it's a combination. I'm not sure Mac trusts the scheme or likes the scheme the way it's been changed. I know he doesn't trust or like the protection he's getting a lot of times. And to be honest, he hasn't thrown the ball well enough. And you combine those three things and you have a lot of interceptions and an offense that hasn't been very good. That sounds a lot like uh, what we've watched yeah, for most real. of this year. Holy uh, cow. One thing, uh, you know, last year's game, obviously Jonathan Taylor, he had a, a magical season all year, but I think that's probably the game that stood out the most around here, especially the end of it. Uh, but this year, the Colts have not gotten the same push in the running game. He's not been healthy, might not even play Sunday. That remains to be seen. How susceptible are is this New England run defense right now to a big game from a guy like Jonathan Taylor? Uh, they're definitely susceptible. They've been inconsistent. And, you know, it's like a couple bad games, then a couple good, and it's like, oh, maybe they figured it out a little bit. Um, but they have just not been able to be consistent against the run almost regardless, like they had a really good performance against the Packers and Aaron Jones, and, and but they haven't been able to replicate it, build any momentum there. And I do think Barmore missing the last couple games has been big. Um, he's a guy that gets double teamed a lot and sort of changes the way offensive lines approach the defensive front in the middle of that defense. Um, Bentley, I think, is part of the problem, as I said. Um, great guy, great leader. Um, Purdue guy, actually. Like, you know, there's sort of old school throwback guy who's probably a step too slow um, for the modern NFL and, you know, piles up tackles. The problem is, you know, they're six yards downfield and it's second and four, <laughs> a lot of those tackles. So um, they are definitely susceptible. And it's funny, you point to that, um, the Taylor run at the end of the game last year. I've been joking. That kind of ended Dante Hightower's career. I, I think that was his realization. All right, you know what? I used to be really good and make big plays with the game on the line in Super Bowls and, now I'm this, and it might be time to, you know, go home, enjoy my wife, enjoy my kid, and look for a new line of work. And obviously he did that in the offseason. But, um, yeah, they, they are definitely um, susceptible at times. And then at times when you start to think they're a bad run defense, they clean it up. So I would say this whole team has been inconsistent in that way. That's actually been one of the talking points and themes this week is trying to find consistency in everything they do because they're not terrible. You know, that's how you end up four and four. Like you have some good wins. You have some bad losses. You, you know, you look good in this area. You look bad in that area. You know, you bring up the, the interceptions. So they're tied for worst in the league in giveaways. They're also tied for most takeaways in the league. And it's like the, like all these like averages out to an average football team. Uh, I was going to say, George mentioned, this sounds so much like the Colts where it's, I <laughs> still believe like this at their core is a good team. And it's just, they can't been way more even inconsistent than the Patriots have. So I guess I'll wrap up uh, with my final question, Andy, with this Patriots are favorites in Foxborough. It's a place historically the Colts have not had a lot of success. So the Patriots should win this game. If the Colts are going to win, like how can the Colts in your mind beat the Patriots on Sunday? Oh, first of all, take care of the key. I mean, it's yeah. turnovers. I think turnovers will be huge. You know, Turnovers changed uh, the Jets game. They were, um, I'm not sure if you guys saw the highlights, but Mac threw a pick six that was wiped out by a penalty. So instead of it being 17 to three Jets heading into halftime, 
it, they get the ball, they retain the ball, they go in 10-6, then they score to open the third quarter. They now control the game a little bit at 13-10, and then Zach Wilson became Zach Wilson and started throwing them the football. But I firmly believe, and obviously no, no way to prove it, if that pick six counts, I think they get blown out by the Jets because I don't think there's any pressure anymore on Zach Wilson and the way they were playing. Like, I just, I do, I firm, and, and I don't know where this team is right now if Mac throws a pick six in a blowout given what had happened a week earlier. So the turnovers have just been min key. I mean, and we know Bill Belichick harps on it. Like that's, that's the NFL turnovers. You look at the Eagles, they're at the top of the league in turnovers and they're at the top of the league. It's, it's not a coincidence how that works. Um, so I think Ellinger has to take care of the football, but they've Patriots have done a good job getting some pressure on quarterbacks, forcing a couple throws, catching it in the back end. They have pretty good ball. Uh, ball hawks and playmakers. Jack Jones, a rookie, has made a couple nice plays for interceptions um, already in his career. McCourty will catch it if it's in his area. He might have lost a step, but he can still, you know, make those types of plays. Uh, I, I definitely think they have to run the football, whether it's Taylor, whether it's Ellinger, whether it's you know whoever you guys decide to throw out there. They they need to run the football. And I think both teams are going to play the game the same way. The Patriots want to run the football. Ramondre Stevenson has become their best offensive player, maybe their best overall player uh, already. Um, and then make Mac uncomfortable. When Mac's uncomfortable, he's been making mistakes. And those mistakes are reasons why the Patriots lose. Um, I don't know if you saw it early in the year, Mike Lombardi uh, on his podcast basically said if Mac Jones kept playing the way he was playing, this was pre-injury, um, he would be benched and he wouldn't have a job in the National Football League. You just can't play football that way. Um, which seemed a little extreme to me three games into a season. Um, but everybody assumes because he used to work for the Patriots, he's Belichick's kind of buddy pal, that that's not just his opinion, that he's, you know, kind of talking to Bill, getting some of that from Bill. So, yeah, if you can get some pressure and DeForest Buckner, I mean, Bill Belichick compared him to Aaron Donald yesterday, which I, if I'm DeForest Buckner, I keep that clip around for a while. <laughs> um, that's high praise, but you know, that that's a front that has athletes that can get after the quarterback when they're on. Right. So take advantage of the offensive line, get after Mac a little bit, force him into some mistakes um, because the receivers aren't great and they haven't played great. And, you know, they, they haven't been getting open. Devonte Parker's banged up now. Kendrick Bourne is a non-fact. It's basically, if you cover Jacoby Myers, you're like halfway done to stopping the passing attack there. So um, yeah, I would say it starts with taking care of the football on offense and just pressuring Mac into his mistakes on defense. Sounds like going to be another high-scoring game, which was Colts play every week here. So <laughs> no, uh, I don't think so. <clears throat> I would take the under. <laughs> <laughs> that that's been the whole year here. So uh, you know, I think you did a good job of, of summing up what it would look like if the Colts win. What's the formula right now for New England? You know, just for my final question, when they are good, you know, when they get those four wins, what does it look like? Well, offensively, it's run the football, regardless of who it is. You know, Damian Harris was banged up, and since then, Stevenson has kind of taken over as the, the budding star. Um, he's also taken over as a pass catcher. He's had 15 catches combined the last two games. They've really ridden his um, versatility and playmaking ability. So I, I think the Patriots have to run the ball. One of the big complaints around here was that, you know, we talked about the way Mac had the offense early. Well, when Zappi came in, it was simplified. It was a lot of play action, sort of easy throws. And some of the Mac supporters are like, just let Mac do that. Let's let's run the ball, play action, get a, you know, get Hunter Henry behind the linebacker. Boom, 15 yards. Okay, we're moving down the field. And I think it makes sense. Like I do think that's what they need to be right now. Whatever their aspirations are of closing the gap with the Bills, they're not realistic right now. Just just do what you can do well enough to win and then deal with the other stuff down the road. So I definitely think it's run the ball, play action, take a little bit of pressure out offensive line because if David Andrews is out again, the center, um, James Ferentz will be in again, and he's he's a backup for a reason. Like he's a career backup, a solid veteran, but he's a backup. Um, and as I said, right tackle's a problem. So I, I, that would be the start on offense. And then defensively, um, you know, the pressure is the key for them. Like Matt Judon, Dietrich Wise, when they're rolling, when they're even – even against Lamar, if you go back and watch the first half of that game, they were basically meeting at Lamar all game. Wise was awesome. Judon was awesome. And then it was the second half where that kind of fell apart a little bit. They started taking advantage on the ground. But everything they do defensively, in my opinion, starts with Judon and Wise up front. 
and then kind of builds backwards from there. And, you know, it'll be interesting because I'm not overly familiar with Ellinger in like what he is, what he can be. You know, he's, he's sort of a theory in my head. And I, and I think for them, it's going to be similar, like finding out, yeah, he can run, but is he good enough to run? Like, can he do it well? Can he do it often enough and successfully enough? And there's a little bit of that feeling out process early in the game that, that coach Belichick always, you know, before the game declares itself, um, he likes to say. So I think those pass rushers will be key, but if he's running by those guys and picking up first downs and converting third downs, um, that could be problematic, but control the football and turnovers. I mean, that's how they've won game is, is takeaways. And that's how they've lost games is giveaways. So, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Don't give the ball away and you got a good shot to win probably. Bad offensive lines, turnovers, offense that struggle to get in the red zone. I or get in the end zone. I, Andy, I cannot wait for Sunday. Let me tell you, this is going to be an instant classic for the next year. Well, I do think you know, I always joke in training camp when people will be like, "Oh, the Patriots are they're really competitive at cornerback," and I'm like, "Yeah, they're competitive, but I liked it better when they had Steph Gilmore. It wasn't you knew who yeah. your number one corner was. There was no competition. So sometimes competitive can be at a really low level, although." I don't dismiss an entertaining game breaking out. It might not be clean football or good football or championship, but um, it, it could be back and forth. It, you know, it could be who turns it over last loses and type game. And, you know, where you have three or four turnovers for each team. And, um, you know, as, as Tom Brady said, there's a lot of bad football being played this year in the NFL. So um, bad football can be entertaining if both teams are equally bad and competitive, I guess. Maybe two negatives can equal positive, right? Bad football, bad exactly. football, put together. Boom, there you go. 45-41. You heard it here first. I like I like your where your brain is at. <laughs> and I will say it's supposed to be a ridiculously beautiful day, if nothing else, at Gillette Stadium. They're talking about record highs in like 76, 78 degrees Ooh. at Gillette. So um, fans may not love the football in front of them, but, you know. Grab a beer, enjoy the sunshine, enjoy a nice fall day out at uh, Gillette Stadium, I guess. Worst case, there you get are, a nice tan. We're a nice right. day in November. Can't beat that. That's right. There are worse, day, worse ways to, to spend a Sunday for sure. Absolutely. No absolutely. <laughs> Andy, thanks so much for the time, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Pod. As always, download, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And make sure you tell a fellow Colts friend about us as well. We will be here throughout the entirety of the regular season for all the bad and also all of the good. Speaking of bad, we do appreciate Andy for joining us here. And George, we mentioned it in the open, but especially coming off of the conversation we just had with Andy, kind of have giving uh, him giving us his perspective on the Patriots, it's freaky, freaky how similar the Pats and the Colts are and the same issues that are plaguing right now in New England are the ones that we've been talking about for the last eight weeks. It is, it's scary. Well, what's really scary is it, it reminds me most of the Denver game, and, and, and we know how that turned out. That's the last time I felt like, you know, mirror images oh, no. of each other. Um, but that's what it brings back memories of. And back then it was the two veteran quarterbacks who were struggling and, and two defenses that were playing well, and, uh, you know, we'll see. It's yikes. Oh, no. If we get another 12-9-9-6-15-12 kind of game, sheesh. Sheesh, I don't even know what I'm going to do, George. I burn my eyeballs out by the third quarter. Don't forget, don't forget, last two road games combined, just one touchdown for the Colts. Oh, my goodness. It's actually, like, it's it's really not funny, but it's so funny how the Colts continue to just, like, find new lows. Half the season, four to the eight games they found, they scored one touchdown or less. Like you mentioned, between Denver and Tennessee, one combined touchdown in, what, 130? Or 100, let's say 27 minutes of game time here. So they have what was it, six or seven minutes in overtime by the time the Colts got that fourth down stop against the Broncos to win the game. That's too bad. Can I go through another 60 minutes here, George, of one or fewer touchdowns for sure? But that was at least one thing I do want to see. We'll get to our game picks here in a second. But win or lose, one thing I hope to see this week specifically, George, is the Colts either be tied or have a lead. Either at halftime, the, at some, you know, going into the fourth quarter, please. Like, they cannot. I cannot sit here talking about another halftime deficit, which the Colts get down by double digits again, and then go into the fourth quarter where they are losing in the game again. They are eight for eight in both of those. Just please don't make it not for. I don't care if you lose the game. I don't care if you're up 10, you blow the game. At least give me something that's different so far that the story that is just not repeating itself. I'm sick and tired of going to the movie theater and watching the same movie. Give me some sort of, even if the ending's the same, 
a plot twist in the middle. A halftime lead. How about that, George? You know, I mean, we say they're inconsistent, but maybe not. You know, maybe they've been extremely yeah. <laughs> consistent. Maybe they're the most consistent team in the league. You just fall behind for three quarters, and then you either come back in the fourth or you don't. Oh, man. it is. That's a good point. It is, it is hard to be as, as consistently bad in the first two quarters and really even now going from the third to the fourth quarters of Colts have. It's, I'd love to know in history if the Colts have the longest streak of trailing at half. I mean, they have to. I, I don't see how another team we can got, do that. We gotta get that ESPN stats and info on our side right here because th- th- those guys are amazing with that stuff. But they've got to be up there. I mean, that, that's a phenomenal streak to go straight eight straight weeks just trailing at halftime is is pretty crazy. But then throw in the third quarter as well. I don't. You might be able to go to ten straight. You definitely can go to nine because I know that Jacksonville game they were down at halftime last year and they were down going into the fourth quarter. And I want to say it was the same case against Vegas, but maybe not. Vegas might have been trailing going into the fourth quarter. Uh, but that's how far back you've got to go. At least at least the Raiders game last season, maybe the Cardinals on Christmas Day, which feels like the last time there was any real joy uh, for this franchise. Colts Raiders last year, George, 13-10 Raiders at half. 17-13 Colts in the, going to the fourth quarter. So they, they were so down at halftime. So we got one part of the streak continuing here. Ten straight games. That's pathetic. That is unbelievable, isn't it? Pathetic. I'm telling you, Christmas Day in Arizona is the last time there was any joy for the Indianapolis Colts. Since then. I hate to say it. You're right. That was sheesh. uh, Go figure. Uh, Go. Maybe that's what the, you know, that's the issue, George. Bench everybody. Play as many second stringers as you possibly can. That's right now the key to victory. That that is that is it. Remake and and remodel this team after that Christmas uh, night game in, in Arizona, and that's seemingly the path for success. Holy smokes! So speaking of this game, we see the similarities. We kind of know you know the the keys here. Don't turn the ball over against a, a team that turns the ball over a ton themselves in the Patriots. Be able to slow down the run game because like the Colts, Ramondre Stevenson is the guy so far for the Pats to kind of get this offense going. We look at the game pick so far this year, George. We are two and six. Jaguars lost in week two. We got correct. Commanders lost. We got right last week. What is your prediction? The Colts on the road in uh, Foxborough uh, plus five and a half, according to Vegas. So even though these two teams are cons- you know consistently inconsistent, Vegas does give the Pats the edge there. What's your official game pick for week number nine? First of all, I'm starting to think Vegas isn't a big fan of Sam Ellinger. I mean, holy cow, five and a half. Five and no respect. Yeah, Jeez. no respect. I mean, he should be playing that that card all week, I guess. Um, I'm going to go with New England. Uh, I think it's going to be low scoring because I've watched the Colts this year. And so I'm going to go, let's say, 21 to 17. That gives the Colts two touchdowns. That's wow. That's a lot. I, that's a huge offensive wow. outburst. <laughs> That is what? That would be the most productive offense since week one, right? Jaguars well, shut out. Denver oh, on, on the road. road up, on the road. Holy cow. On the road. That's, that's how you know the season's bad. We're talking about the most productive offensive output since week one on the road. And we're talking about 14, 17 points in a loss anyway, nonetheless. Holy cow. This, that's when you know the season's bad. I'm going the Patriots. I'm going even lower. I have less faith in these offenses than you do. I'm going to go 17-13. Colts get one touchdown, settle for a few field goals because they can't punch in the red zone. This Patriots offense is not scary whatsoever. Mac Jones is not very good. A lot of question marks, a lot of holes about this Pats offense. But with that said, I think the Colts, again, I just can't trust them to not turn the ball over in a key situation that either is going to be in the red zone or deep in their own zone, which is going to put the defense in a, in a you know disadvantageous situation. I, I just I can't trust them. I'm sorry. For both teams that are wildly inconsistent, I'll give Bill Belichick the edge. I'll give the edge to the Patriots that are a little bit more, slightly more buttoned up and also do have more takeaways on defense are a little more opportunistic than the Colts have been so far this season. So we'll go 17-13, low scoring. Going to be brutal to watch offensively, but the Pats, I think, do in the end get the win. The Colts, I think, are going to 3-5-1. and one. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think it's going to be a tough game again. Um, it's definitely a winnable football game. I don't think there's any doubt about 100%. that. 100%. Uh, I just think that, you know, from, from my perspective right now, the Colts keep finding ways to lose games. I think the Washington game really hammered that home. You got a nine-point lead with uh, 11 minutes to go, and, and you give up 10 points in the final 455. 
uh, you know, something is just not going your way. I, I don't know what they did to anger the football gods, uh, but but certainly they have felt the wrath all year long. I mean, outside of the Eagles game, George, look ahead to their schedule. Like, I would argue maybe the Vikings, maybe the Chargers. Three out of the nine games remaining, so two-thirds of their schedule, they you could win. I could easily see a path to victory against every single one of those opponents. Like you mentioned, the, the Raiders are coming up. You have the Patriots this week. The Steelers coming up in a few weeks. Like, the Texans in the year. Like, there are still some winnable games on the schedule. But you mentioned, like, the reason why – like, I almost picked the Colts in this game, I'll be honest. The reason why I didn't was because I literally looked back to last week, and you mentioned the Commanders game. You can't close that game out at home up by nine with whatever, how much, you know, in the fourth quarter. Like, I just can't trust you. They should win this game. They, they the, the Patriots give you nothing to be actually worried about. But I, you can't trust the Colts. Anytime they should be in a position to win the game or make a play, we've talked about it. More times than not, they cannot. So even though it's winnable, even though, again, this is another situation where both teams are pretty evenly matched, I just can't trust the Colts, what we've seen so far through the first eight weeks, to actually make the plays needed to get the win. Yep, which means, you know, congratulations to the Colts. They're going to win, right? I mean, we got the win last week. There's no way we're winning That's- two in a row uh, on our picks. And and honestly, I mean, it, what for whatever reason, throughout Frank Reich's entire tenure here, the games it feels like they will lose the most are the ones that they end up winning. So probably I, the best chance for them to win is if Jonathan Taylor doesn't play because that's when all hope is lost, and, and that's when they somehow pull these things out. And, like, watch Grover Stewart, like, tweaks a hamstring in, like, the first quarter. It's like, yeah. oh, okay, now, now they're really done. And then, like you mentioned, like, they just go blow out the Patriots, like, 35 to 10. And it's like, oh, yeah, of course we saw this coming for sure. So that'll do it for the preview edition of the Blue Horseshoe Pod. As always, as a reminder, we will be back on Sunday night after the Colts-Pats game. We'll have that podcast released a few hours afterwards. So, We'll get your reaction. You know, you can hear our reaction to what is hopefully a win, but uh, we're not really feeling too confident about that for sure. So enjoy the game. Hopefully, I mean, there might not be a lot to enjoy, at least offensively for sure. But we will talk to you again on Sunday night here, right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod.